So, Mr. Trent, are you uh, familiar with Arcane? Well, aside from the fact that you're insured by the company I work for, I never heard of Arcane, I'm sorry. You read books? Uh, Linda Stiles, John Trent. Linda reads books for a living. She's one of our best editors. Since she joined the firm, she's been handling Sutter Kane exclusively. Sutter Kane? Who's the guy that writes that horror crap? Welcome to Screen Run. I'm your host, The Lady One, and I'm here with... Chris Galza. Screen Run is the show where Chris and I explore the films of a particular artist or franchise, and in Season 3, we are talking about the films of John Carpenter. Today, we'll be discussing John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. And joining us to talk about this movie is the host of Piecing It Together. You know him. You love him. He's back again. It's David Rosen. Hi, David. Oh, thank you so much for having me for this weird one. (laughs) Yeah, well, welcome to the madness. <laughs> yeah, this this is a, this is a lot down. of Hold madness on. in this movie. Yes, sorry, <laughs> I, I went for a bad joke and it. <laughs> I undercut <laughs> David and it didn't work, and it's oh. just typical. It's just it's what I do. That's why I'm here. <laughs> well, this is this is the part for why you're here, Chris. So you have to say this part. What do what I say? Is, oh, David, hi. So wait, I like to ask David, what is your show all about first? Your your other show that made you famous and be- that we allowed us to beg you to join us mm. here. So what is your show all about and what's it called? Well, yeah, my show, Piecing It Together, uh, is a podcast about movies and the movies that inspired them. So we take a look at a new movie and my guests and I come to the conversation with a bunch of other films that we think may have been an influence in some way and go back and forth discussing them and... Uh, the lady one has been on the show a few times now. Oh, yeah. And nice. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fun thing I've been doing for five full years now. Cool. Oh, you know what? I'm going to start keeping a journal of all the shows Juan has done <laughs> that, that I have not have been it. invited on. Hold on. Wait, this is another one. This is number 36. <laughs> all right. David, what is your history within the mouth of madness? Prior to this, unless this is it, you're coming in hot, you're coming in fresh. Coming in hot, coming in fresh. This is one of the John Carpenter films that has always Ooh. just eluded me. I've always wanted to watch it and just never gotten around to it. Oh, okay. Whoa. Well, I'm happy we got the pop your cherry, as Juan is always saying. <laughs> yes. It makes me uncomfortable. Not something I say. <laughs> I would I would never. I, I had never seen this movie before either. Okay. Okay. Chris? I have. I saw it, I believe, in the theater. And, uh, yeah, I haven't really seen it since. I think I saw it, like, once on your HBOs or something since then. And uh, I did pick up the uh, Scream Factory Blu-ray release probably about a year ago. Uh, okay. But I had yet to rewatch it until now. And I indulged in the commentaries. And let me tell you, whew, that first commentary from back in the 90s is rough because it's... Oh. Him and I think his lighting guy, and they spent like the first twenty five minutes talking about the lighting of the film. Which I okay. Well, if it's the lighting guy, <laughs> I mean, he's got to go with what he knows. 
but it's very dry and not very good. <laughs> and the next one he does with his wife, which is a little more engaging, and maybe we'll talk about that as we go. But no. yeah, no, I've seen this before. I've always enjoyed it. It's considered his last great film. Mm-hmm. Which concerns and... me. <laughs> <laughs> well, would you go with good? How about that? Was his last good film? Wow. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we'll get into that. Um <laughs> Miss Wan, how do you want to start? Do you want to give us some yeah. background then? I I can uh, tell you guys a little story about how this movie came to be. So the script was written by Michael DeLuca in the 1980s, the late 80s. Uh, DeLuca was the vice president of creative development at New Line. So <laughs> that's why his script gets to definitely become a movie. Um, he offered it to John Carpenter in the 80s and Carpenter was like, cool thanks bra i'm good and it just kind of bounced around on new line slate of projects for a while it was attached to tony randall for a minute uh the director of hellraiser 2 not from the odd couple um then it was attached to pet cemetery director mary lambert and just kind of ground to a halt even more um but eventually in 1992 John Carpenter had this deal with a new line and he started working on this and he did do some rewrites. So this is not a straight up uh, original script. And he brought in his buddy, Sam Neill, who he worked with on uh, last episode's discussed memoirs of an invisible man. Good movie. And, and no bad movie, very <laughs> bad movie. <laughs> and uh, got Sam Neill was his pal and he was going to do this movie. And boy, isn't that lucky for, the movie and John Carpenter because everybody in America has seen Sam Neill's face after Jurassic Park. And uh, that was, you know, some pretty, pretty exciting casting for him. Uh, the rest of our cast is uh, Julie Carmen, uh, Charlton Heston. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's exciting. They filmed the movie in the late summer, early fall in Canada, mostly around Toronto because that's movie New York. And, um, it was originally supposed to come out September 1994, but it got pushed to February 1995. Getting pushed to February is never good. Like Unless you're Liam Neeson. I don't understand that reference. <laughs> Has a February Liam Neeson film ever actually done well? I don't know, but he's like the king of... Well, but what, the first Taken came out within that window, didn't it? January, February? I will disconnect this call if people have issues with Taken. Are you guys doing Liam Neeson I've never next seen it. for your like next season of Screen Run? Which is the three Taken films, like a Liam Neeson? <laughs> no, there's like I 16 was thinking... Taken films with just different names, right? basically. And they did this TV show? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I was thinking that we should do a theme mm. next oh. time. Okay. Oh, boy. But focus it. Move- movies like Taken. <laughs> well, yeah, or heist movies and pick out like eight of them that are classics mm. or... Uh, but then, you know, if you focus too much on good stuff, then all you're going to have is good stuff. Mm. And sometimes the bad stuff makes for the interesting conversations. Mm, I don't know. I'm, st- I'm still workshopping. We'll, we'll talk about it. Sure. Yeah, Now's sure. not the time. Yeah. I'm going to need to <laughs> go into a medically induced coma after this season. So just to get some time to recharge. <laughs> this is this is, is making me stronger this season. Good for um, you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, back back to In yeah, the Mouth of Madness. Uh, it opened, so like I said, February 1995 at number mm-hmm. four in the U.S. box office the weekend it came out. It made $3.4 million, opened the same mm-hmm. day as Boys on the Side and The Jerky Boys. True. I've never heard of The Jerky Boys. Oh, you are so young. You... <laughs> 
Do you familiar just conceptually with who they are, or you have like no idea? Jerky boys. All right, I'm going to see how old David is. David, do you know who the Jerky Boys are? Of course, I know who the Jerky Boys are. Yeah. What are the Jerky Boys? So they were a couple guys. Are they from Jersey or New York? I can't remember. I think Jersey. But yeah, they were prank call people. Oh. And they were huge. They released a couple CDs. That first CD was like. Everywhere. They were the when I was a kid, you couldn't get away with 1993, basically. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> wow. I mean, I'll still once in a while quote a couple of their calls. I think the uh, one when they calls he calls for the mechanic job, mm. and he talks about how uh, how many pieces can you have? P- pieces, pounds, baby, pounds. You know, so it's you have to just Google it. All right, go to YouTube. I'm sure there's some. I'm sure some of it probably would be a little insensitive yeah, nowadays probably. too. In order to think about. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair to the lady one, I completely forgot there was a movie. So, yeah. oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's not good. It's not good. It uh, it debuted higher than this film, mm. but all all of that was falling behind. Legends of the Fall in its second week was still absolutely kicking ass at the box office. So that's just mm-hmm. a little snapshot of what was in theaters at the time. Uh, it was in theaters for like a month or so. Made about six and a half million dollars through its entire theatrical run. Budget was like seven to eight million dollars, though, so that's not that math's not mathing. Well, wait, Wikipedia's got it at eight point nine domestic. Mm, so now sure. what do we do? That math just, it still ain't mathing. Do we have to stop the show and like do some research and like come back in a few hours? Um, a I'm gonna days? I'm gonna go uh, get my little change box out and start counting the dollars because I have all of the profits from when the movie came out. I'm actually holding them. So I can just count them again if you guys want to wait here. It'll just be a minute. I thought you would use it to like, collect <laughs> rare versions of uh, La La Land in different formats and posters and maybe blew it all on Taylor Swift merchandise last week. Do you think John Carpenter's sitting around editing the Wikipedia entry just to make his films look better? <laughs> just a, and once a year, it goes yes. up by like 500 grand. Yes, I absolutely think he would do that. Like, why not? If he's bored. Mm-hmm. Like, I, if I was a famous person... I would absolutely fuck with my Wikipedia page. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. all the time. I would just make, like, weird rumors about myself just to see, like, yeah, I would do that. So Okay. I don't know what that says about me psychologically. It says a lot. So, it says a lot. I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. So, so that's the background on how the movie came to be. Let me just quickly summarize what the actual movie is, and then we can talk about what we all watched. So, um... The story of this film is a uh, Stephen King-esque author goes missing and Sam Neill, who's our insurance investigator, skeptic by trade, has to help his editor track him down to get the final copy or to get a final copy for his next bestseller. Um, Instead, they find the fictional town where his terrifying stories are taking place and they begin to wonder what is the difference between fiction and reality. And honestly, like writing up that little summary, I was like, ooh, I want to watch that movie Except for I did. And it just, I wish it came together for me. But there's cool ideas there. So let's talk about uh, what you guys thought of this movie. So David and I had not seen it before. Chris, you'd seen it, but like mm-hmm. it's not, it's not a revisit for you. So what, Chris, what did you think? Like, what were your memories of it to come back to it? Or like, what was your kind of like thought on it? Like you said, it was one of, what did they say? His last, last good movie question mark so was that was that what do do you think that like are we about to go downhill sorry that was like nine questions pick one yeah i know i'm uh (laughs) so i mean there is some appreciation out there for escape from la if you watch it for the reason 
the intention that that carpenter had for making it. And we'll get mm-hmm. to that in a couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, I've always kind of considered it his last good film. Is it a great film? Uh, I think the issue I have, one of the challenges, is that I think conceptually it's brilliant. It has a lot of smart ideas that I just mm-hmm. don't think that Carp does a great job exploring or expanding upon. Uh, I think for the most part, it's it's well done. I think it's appropriately weird and creepy and scary at times. <laughs> I think one of the issues I have with it, too, is that it feels like a lot of films did in the in the 90s when everything right. seemed very clean and sanitized and well they were in and, canada well yeah that's sure that's part <laughs> of it and i love why they went to canada because new new line at the time was a was a studio that did not make union films they would not work with union crews mm. so carpenter said well we'll go up to canada it'll be cheaper and the new line's like oh okay not realizing that the entire country mandates union working when it comes oh. to making films so that's one way that the carpenter says in the commentary that says that's why one of the reasons why they went to Canada was to a to stretch the dollars and b to make sure that they use work with a union crew, which I thought good for him and screw you, New Line. But yeah. uh yeah, no, I mean, I mean, my question for you guys after watching this is: is it is it just too meta for its own good? Does it kind of get wrapped up in? Because I think the general idea of having a horror writer being able to tap in to some cosmological kind of horror, this, you know, the HP Lovecraft thing, which is mm-hmm. obviously what the film is modeled on mm-hmm. uh, and how it can infect his, your brain and make, turn you mad. And then there's even one line in the film where she says, you know, well, what is the line? You know, is with all the people, if the majority of people are insane, then is that the reality now type of a thing? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But does, does it get too meta for its own good? Because at one point, the book's made into a movie and everything's real and reality is changing. But then there's still a movie that's written by DeLuca, directed by John Carpenter as well. I mean, just kind of just fold in on itself. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, the big question is, do you read Sutter Kane? I guess that's what we need to know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I, I, uh, I'm a sucker for meta. Um, I, I can't help it. Um, <laughs> outside of the Scream movies, because other than the first one, I, I don't like any of them. But uh, every other <laughs> meta movie there is, I seem to love, and that includes this one. Um, I, I just, I just think it's really fun. And I'm not a Stephen King fan, though. So, like, the setting okay. and all that kind of stuff is like, I, I recognize it and I, I get yeah. what it's doing. But at the same time, like, I have no attachment to Stephen King or his kind of stories. So, I guess it, it might yeah. lose me a little bit there because I'm not particularly a fan of his. But uh, I, I think it's a lot of fun, though, all, all the meta stuff. You more a yeah. Peter Straub guy? Sure. Why not? I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i i like the meta parts the meta parts are the parts that i enjoyed the the ending of it i was like this is cool i think Mm -hmm. where it personally lost me is the whole middle part in the town and maybe that is like more of the like stephen king of it all because it's definitely sutter kane is stephen king meets hp lovecraft like that's just what they're throwing together i do think it's very bizarre that they that Mm -hmm. stephen king exists in the universe of this movie like the fuck like what well him and carpenter are friends i don't know if that's part of it i assume that it is because otherwise it's frankly 
kind of silly to make him exist in this universe because if somebody like Stephen King existed at Stephen King levels let's just say Stephen King levels but then there's this Sutter Kane that is even higher but they both have really similar names and they both do the same font on all the covers of their books it would it would be weird the idea that somebody is so ubiquitous and so famous and so well read but it's not Stephen King. It's bigger than that. Like, I could assume that it's bigger than that without you saying it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That that in particular bugged me because I would prefer if I'm just supposed to accept that, like, this is a slightly tweaked version of my universe and it's not Stephen King. It's Sutter Kane. And all of this could be, you know, just one more novel away from everything unraveling. One thing you that know? I think really helps is, like, I took this movie mostly as comedy. I, I think this movie <laughs> is funny. <laughs> it's I don't think it's scary at all. And this is meta in the way that like Jay and Silent, Silent Bob Strike Back is meta. You know what I mean? Like it's very inside <laughs> yes. baseball horror movies, but like playing with it. Yeah. I, how many movies have we watched on this podcast, Chris, where we watch somebody watch a movie that they're in in the movie that we watch? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. Sam Neill signed up for this because he thought it was a comedy. Really? And there's certainly oh. comedic elements, but he supposedly told Carpenter that, yeah, I'd love to make this comedy with you. And Carpenter's Ooh. like, all right, that's not really what we're going for, but <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, there's certainly comedic elements, but yeah, he liked him so much. So he's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. For Sam Neill's character, he's basically, is he kind of just like John Carpenter? His name's John. He's talking, talking about how he destroyed the world, like skeptical by nature and uh, can't stop smoking. Is this, is this just John Carpenter? Is that? <laughs> I know I hadn't even noticed that. I have no idea. Yeah, no, That's he cannot stop smoking throughout this movie. Like, I wonder if that was a Sam Neill choice as like an homage to his director. Probably. I've added this to my character. He's a chain well, smoker. <laughs> I know there's a couple things in it where... Carpenter is melding two genres here where he's mm-hmm. going with the horror, but he's also trying to, he's making kind of his noir film. Yeah. And he really tried to model him kind of after a uh, Bogart, Sam Spade, Philip Marlowe. Mm-hmm. I even, t- I think re- I read that he can, you know, there's a lot of big sleep influences in this. And, uh, Julie Carmen is the, the Bacall supposedly to him in this film too. It's what he was going for. And they have yeah. that playful scene, like when they're in the publisher's billet building and they go that nice dolly shot with her walking him out to the elevator and the two of them kind of have that flirty interchange. And there's a lot of that going on here too. So I, yeah. I did appreciate that, that he's kind of, you know, merging those two genres and this, he's got his mystery thriller trying to figure out what's really going on as basically reality crumbles around him. I, I thought that was yeah. fun. No, I definitely get the noir vibes. I mean, Sam Neill's character is, he's our, he's our detective. He's just an insurance investigator. Yeah. But the whole setup, like even everything, when we get the scene with Peter Jason where he is, uh, you know, we see how good he is at his job. Like that's very much like a detective noir trope is like, look at him closing the last case that you haven't seen. And now we're on to the next one. And this is yeah. how good our lead guy is. And he's unflappable and he's not interested in the bullshit. And this, this dame's trying to trick him. I see it all there. I get it all there. I think, again, it's just, I, I got so stuck on the town stuff. Like if a bunch of zombie children came up to you and said, you're my mommy and it's mommy day. I don't think it's I would be like, day. Okay. Yeah, I should have pulled that for you as a clip. That would have been good. <laughs> I just feel like her reactions are not appropriate. <laughs> like yeah. for for before she has been 
Sutter Caneified. That threw me. But yeah, I, I, I get when Sam Neill is our unflappable detective and is like, yeah, all right, sure, sure. Good, good effects here. And I love how incredulous he is. Like, you reminded me of me back when I was in my dickish atheist phase. <laughs> you know, just totally unwilling to believe or accept anything that's happening around him and constantly calling stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. But he's just stone cold cynical. Yeah. I, I think, you know, to that middle section, you know, we're, we're talking about how it's, it's noir in, in inspired. It, it's also horror. It's also possibly comedy. It's very serious, yeah. but then it's not serious. <laughs> I think that all kind of like points to what I think is the biggest problem with the movie is the mixture of tones. Like, I, I don't think and, and I mean, I, I love Carpenter in general, but I, I don't think that he's balancing these tones really that well here. And that's probably the, yeah. the movie's biggest flaw. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right, because the beginning of it is so grounded and the end of it is so like meta and intense. But then in the middle, it's just kind of struggling a little bit with like, how much are we doing this? It's like you're in a horror movie, but you're not thing. Because mm -hmm. uh, like it, they really kind of don't seem to commit to it. I, I thought it was going to be a lot scarier. I got to be honest, because once they got into that hotel and that picture was moving, mm -mm, I was like, nope, that is terrifying. I don't know why stuff like that freaks me out way more than like an old woman turning into like a tentacle monster and chopping up her husband. But the pictures, the faces on the picture changing freaked me out. I was like, nope. Don't like that. At least they don't like there. that. <laughs> I like that. I thought the the stuff with the old with the innkeeper there and the uh, she has her husband handcuffed yeah. to her ankle and Happy and then chops grandma. him up and transforms and particularly though when Linda changes uh, and then later on with the incident outside the car when they ha she's upside down walking and then she's <laughs> head turns around and I thought that was pretty damn effective too because you know they had David Cronenberg's art crew for this film. And they also, I think, had Greg Nicotero doing some work on this too, right? So they absolutely had some great effects crews and and then uh, um, practical effects work as, on this as well. Yeah, the, they, the, they when had he tears LLM. himself apart with uh, as a paper yeah. kind of thing, I yeah. thought that looked pretty good. Yeah, it's cool as hell. So the the wave of monsters coming down the hallway. Yeah. Yeah. Visual effects, like I said, ILM, so Industrial Light and Magic worked on it. Practical effects as well. It was like weeks and weeks and weeks to do those monsters coming down the hall. I got to say, though, the Amazon transfer of this thing looks like trash. I could see so few of those monsters. And I was like, what? I'm like squinting at them, trying to see them. Like I was saying, the, the one particular, like the hallway monster, it took like 25 people to operate that puppet to chase yeah. him slowly down the hallway so the the effects are pretty wild like it's uh it's some spooky stuff and but then there's a couple misses i personally don't i think when she's you know got her head upside down doing her back bend walking i think it just looks like a weird mask it it, it looked a little looked a little well, janky to I, me. I, I there are like two that. shots yeah and when she turned <laughs> over i think it looked a little but the initial yeah. one was i think pretty good yeah yeah when she's walking straight up upside down her head looks plastic as it is <laughs> if, if i could just say um one one thing i mean you know obviously i haven't been with you guys for this whole journey of uh, going through all these john carpenter movies i've never yeah. found any of his movies to be scary 
I, I've always found his movies to be more cool than anything. Like the good ones are just really cool to watch. And uh, that's that's how I feel about this. That's how I felt about The Fog, which is probably my favorite John Carpenter movie. Um, oh. I, I just like, you know, obviously the thing. But like, I think his movies are just they're fun and they're cool and they're just so impressive. And it's just like this guy showing off basically and that's that's how i felt about the best parts of this movie yeah i i think you're you're stone cold david because that's shit freaked me out (laughs) in the in the thing when they defibrillate him and it goes right through his chest that's scary how is that not scary to you you were you're just not scary to me i'm just like (laughs) hell yeah i want to see this you know (laughs) this is awesome you know what would be an example of a scary film for you Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, what keeps you up at night, David? Oh, God. <laughs> Besides existential dread, <laughs> yeah, like myself. Pretty or... much, yeah. Besides podcasting and editing. Yeah, the, all the, all those <laughs> things. Um, I don't know. Like, like, like scary house movies usually do get to me. Like, you know, uh, mm. The Dark and the Wicked a couple of years ago. That's like the scariest movie I've seen in years. You know, I, I, I'm not even familiar with that. Oh, that one's I don't know that either. It's really well, scary. But if it scares you, David, I'm scared just mm, immediately. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not the biggest like straight up like this is scary horror guy. Like I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not big into those kind of movies. I don't like to be scared. You know what I mean? But, you know, I, I'm come from, you know, all the evil deads being part of my top 10 movies of all time list. So, you know, yeah. like I like fun horror, you know? Yeah. I feel like the, the, when, when something scares you, if it's like a haunted house or something and you do that first initial scream, that sounds like you're excited. I feel like you're just excited about horror. Probably. So maybe yeah. that's, that's why it's not, not scaring you. Cause you're just like, that's dope. Yes. I, <laughs> and instead I'm like, Oh, I don't like it. Yeah, I wrote <laughs> I in my get, notes here. Freaked that's out. dope. This movie's dope. <laughs> There you go. Like, I yeah. feel like that is, I think, maybe, well, I don't know. Because I feel like James Wan's, the first two Conjuring films I thought were pretty scary. Yeah, the first and one I, is but really I th- good. Yeah. I think Malignant is like a different, that falls into the cool oh, horror yeah. thing. That's not scary. But <laughs> for me, what I think one of the most recent films that scared the heck out of me was probably is It Follows. Oh, sure. That one really unsettled me. Creepy as hell. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I agree with you there. Interesting. Ooh. So dark and wicked, you said, huh? Uh-huh, yeah. It's going on his watch list. All right, let's check that out. I have to say one one part that's like not a particularly, in my opinion, a good effect, but something that I found to be unsettling is the whole sequence with the kid on his bike, and he just like becomes an old man as they just keep passing him by, and he's essentially kind of caught in this loop trying to get away from the town. I felt like the whole kid thing reminded me very intensely of I'm thinking of ending things where it's just like hmm. all of a sudden it's just an old person and it's you're like what wait what what's happening like it was just so very unsettling the person being confused like a weird time loop going on it totally made me think of that which that movie scared me in a in a weird way <laughs> yeah well that, like... it should <laughs> it really should <laughs> you, you know it's one thing yeah. that like it wasn't it wasn't scary necessarily, but unsettling, I think, is the line in this movie uh, when, when they're looking for the town and uh, and he says there's plenty of forgotten towns across America. Yeah. Like that line, it's so true. Like you have to imagine like it, down some back road, down mm-hmm. somewhere ever, like – 
who the hell knows what's going on down there? You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, that is a weird yeah, thought. Yeah, that line caught me off guard too. I was like, oh, that's kind of dark and just unnerving. Um, it reminded me of, if you guys watch Atlanta, it reminded me of the first episode of that whole weird season that was just a bunch of random stories sure. where none of it was really Atlanta. And they're telling the story about like this whole town that just got washed away and it's just like, we just pave over it. We just build over it and then test towns are forgotten. Like, mm-hmm. It's it's pretty wild. There there could be, especially like in this time, like pre pre internet, could easily be a town out there that just people have forgotten about, and people don't leave, and it's just it's on its own. Oh yeah. So that is creepy. The idea of like a weird town in the middle of New Hampshire, that that makes me uncomfortable. Sorry to New Hampshire. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of those in Nevada. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So since since I just mentioned New Hampshire, just a little bit of our our trivia here. So the town Hobbs End is in New Hampshire versus if we're if we're making the Stephen King correlation, all of his shit is always in Maine. But the town name in particular, Hobbs End, is in reference to the subway station where uh, there's an alien ship in the movie from 1967, Quatermass and the Pit, which we have now alluded to that movie in a bunch of different ways, uh, from Carpenter's pseudonyms to other character names. And then also in uh, the, the hotel, there's the movie The Robot Monster, uh, from 1953, that is on the television. And that's, again, Carpenter's showing us one of his favorite movies from when he was a kid. Any opportunity to, to throw in some old 50s and 60s sci-fi, he's always bringing it back to what he what he was raised on and what influenced him. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, if I could just mention, uh, the Lady One was yeah. on the Piecing It Together episode on Hobbs and Shaw. So, um, Oh, they're bringing there. it all together. Wow. I, Synergy. I forgot about that. I remember so little of that movie. I don't remember a single <laughs> thing about it. But. It's probably for the best. I The only thing I can remember is that The Rock held a helicopter by a chain. Yes. And he did not get his arm ripped off. <laughs> and I was watching it. I was like, no. <laughs> But it was it was strenuous. It was it wasn't easy. No, I mean he's got those big old guns. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. obviously Jason Statham wouldn't be able to do that. Only The Rock can do that. Of course, but he could kick it out of the sky, Statham, or fly a car into it, maybe or something. something. An Audi. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Now I can't stop thinking about how strange that movie was. Was everybody excited to see Vigo the Carpathian show up into this? You know, I didn't realize that was him until afterwards when I was doing my homework. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's his last role, too, I believe. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that is a very unnerving his whole character. He's he's the the father of the child who gets one of the kids who gets like, I don't know, kidnapped air quotes, question mark by by Sutter Kane in the writing. And then he like in, in a very scary scenario within the film is um he offs himself because that's the way he's written he doesn't want to do it that's so creepy right that he's yeah. just like i can't like this is how it goes so his character in particular i felt was like pretty unnerving that he was self-aware of that this is how he can't remember like were we here and then he started writing about us or did we get here because he wrote about us? Like, it's very, it's very creepy how much he's kind of noticing what's going on. And then his fate is obviously. Ooh. And there's a lot of, I think one of the strengths of this film is the cast. So it's Sam Neill, I think is always whenever he shows up. I enjoy Julie Carmen, Jurgen Prochnow. 
who plays Sutter Kane, of course, from Das Boot. All right. David Warner, who I always love, shows up. There's a very international cast feel to this. John Glover, though, shows up. Bernie Casey, who I love as well, plays what? The uh, guy at the insurance company who's his uh, Sam Neill's oh, boss. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you got Chuck, of course. And then um, one of my favorite little pieces of trivia is uh, the little boy, the paper boy. You know who yes. that is? No. Who that? It's Hayden Christensen. <gasps> what? Wow. Whoa. Anakin himself. It's his first role, I believe. That's wild. Weird. I'm going to need a minute to sit with that information. <laughs> ah, and Frances Bay, she plays Mrs. Pickman, the uh, inn owner. And she's one of those where you see her and you go, oh, yeah, that's her. Yeah. that I, I only know her as Happy Gilmore's grandma. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's, okay. It's very important to me as a film. It's, it's got to save his grandma's house. Yeah. So she's a, she's a real sweet lady. Mm-hmm. I, I got a real laugh out of, in the beginning, before we kind of start into our story, the carpenters. I found that to be very clever because mm. <laughs> I was like, oh, the carpenters. All right. And um, I don't know what he's trying to say by, by doing that, but- it made me giggle. I don't. I don't know if there's some kind of like. Is he tired of being asked about them? Like, what? What? Why is that in there? But I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was very funny. It's just more meta. I mean, meta on top of meta it on top is. of meta. So you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I just interpreted it as because a the film is not linear, which I always enjoy films that don't follow a straight timeline, mm-hmm. right? Because we start in the present right. and then we get the past and kind of how Samuel ends up in the asylum. But that's kind of like the well, it's, we've only just begun. So even though we're. <laughs> In the present, we're about yeah. to hear the story. So, yeah, the carpenter said, I guess he had to talk uh, him into it doing it. He didn't initially want his music in the film, even the Muzak version that's featured. Oh. But I guess uh, eventually he came around. And another fun thing, too, that church. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. That exists. That's that's not a set. It's a church in the middle of this gigantic open field. It's very frightening. And I guess they were able to film there because... Um, his wife, well, I'm blanking on her name now. I'm so embarrassed by that. Sandy King, mm-hmm. Sandy King Carpenter, offered to replace all the carpets in the church if they would let them film. And he, they agreed. <laughs> and then, I guess, if it was the priest, they got, he got a lot of heck for it afterwards. They were very upset with him. But he's like, we need these carpets. <laughs> wow. That's so strange. So there you go. The 90s that's, ruled. That's bizarre. That's <laughs> He bartered for carpet. Wow. I can't... You know, David, I'm curious if you have the same experience that I do. That's why I dislike most of the films from that that early to mid-ish 90s period. I'm kind of going back to this, and I apologize, and I talked about it last Mm. week, where everything feels kind of just... Everything's too clean. Everything's too sanitized. Everything looks almost like... It's, I guess, like a set, maybe? I, I'm not sure. But there's like there's a lack of like authenticism, realism, I feel like, in a lot of movies in that time frame. Is that something you've noticed, or am I making I that mean, up? I mean, I think we see that in every era to, to some extent. Like, there, there's always movies that, you know, because obviously when we do... It's just fake. Everything looks slightly fake. I don't know. Because like, when, whenever we go back to any year or decade in, in cinema, like, you know, we're only going to the big memorable movies for the most part and some of them just Mm -hmm. look like that you know some of them just look like movie sets and some of them look more naturalistic so i don't know it's hard to say like it it doesn't necessarily take me out of it i mean this this looked to me like a lot of horror movies of this era like you know any of the 
even Nightmare on Elm Street or, or Friday mm. the 13th movies that came out around this time. Like, it looks like that stuff. Yeah. That's a good point. That could be part of my issue. It's just a general, I don't know if it's a lack of atmosphere or everything just, everything looks just too crisp and too clean. I don't know what it is. It keeps bothering me. I'm, I have, I kind of wonder if that is intentional even with this because that's what horror movies look like. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that was just this. It's kind of like with music in the 90s, mm-hmm. too. Everything kind of shifted to this pop bubblegum kind of shimmer kind of thing to it <laughs> with the boy bands and Britney and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I don't know. That's kind of I feel like a translated in the cinema. Plus, I think generally things were mostly OK in the country. There wasn't a lot of angst yeah. in there. So there wasn't a lot of turmoil in the country politically socially you know like there was in the 80s like there is now-ish and things i don't know everything kind of feels (laughs) kind of i don't know just a weird thing maybe i need to write a book on that or something do some research since you brought up the music of the 90s can we talk about that opening track over the titles oh my god that music rules can i say i hate it the best what are we talking about (gasps) i thought it was awesome i was like this is rocking synth that's what my note said uh john carpenter does metallica (laughs) it's so good it's for me it's an artifact it's a it's the last gasp of a dying genre it's the note i have the horror rock and roll score good riddance (laughs) it's i hate it so much just over the top like like if Kiss was actually a Christian rock group. It's, it's, I couldn't stand it. The score does get better after that, um, overall, but I, I just hate that stuff so I, much. I saw it's Carpenter so much of I a saw time. Him perform live, uh, here in Vegas, like five <gasps> years ago or something. And I'm pretty sure he opened with that song. And- I mean, it's, <laughs> I think it's cool. I liked it. Yeah. It rules. I think he said Lang did that part of it. So Jim Lang brought a lot of stuff into this yeah. film, the composer. And Carpenter really, I think, has shifted from the early career now where he'll have some ideas and some textures and he'll bring them to the composer for the film and then let them develop a score. And then he'll come in and tweak things a little bit to kind of how he likes the sound. Mm. And I don't know. Yeah, it's this is not one of my favorites score at all. I liked it. But yeah, no, that's funny. I absolutely hated <laughs> that opening. When that, uh, yeah, no. I thought my eyes, my thought, just my, what, my eyes were going to just snap out of my head and come flying out. My eyes rolled so hard. Oh, that score absolutely uh, screams, this was filmed in 1994. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that is everything right there is, Dan. Yeah. There's yeah. no, there's no getting around that. That was hella 1994 and i'm telling you chris i am saying hella all the time nice I, hey go ahead <laughs> I really wait, wait here's my part yeah you are <laughs> see juan and i are, supposed, are trying to bring back yeah. she's trying to bring back hella yeah. and i'm trying to bring back yeah, yeah those are both good. yeah you do i like them they, right? you can you can join us on this on this mission nice i'd be delighted to hear uh, a piecing episode in the future where you say hella Oh, I'll be listening. It, it'll it. happen, I'm sure. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, you will. <laughs> Another thing I had in my notes here. Uh, yeah. You were just talking about like the the unrest of of that era or or of this current era. Yeah. <laughs> Cops are shitty in this movie, huh? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> really bad. 
People just didn't have, uh, you know, smartphones yeah. back then. Yeah. I was just like, oh, wow. I think that's a Carpenter yeah, I... thing, isn't it? You guys have been watching a lot of his movies lately. Like, he, he's always been very critical. Yeah, he's like, he's like, don't trust them. Yeah. Don't, absolutely do not trust them. Yeah. So, I watched this movie, like, gosh, I don't know. It was like a week and a half ago um, is when I first watched it. And I swear, almost every single day since I watched it, every news update at least one random act of like somebody just absolutely having an unnecessarily violent response. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, Oh man, must be really going to hell out there. And I was like, Oh no, no, no. <laughs> Is this movie <laughs> happening? Cause like, do you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> yeah, they clearly do. Like, it's just kind of, it's kind of crazy. Like I just, and, and now, now this movie became my, my kind of like sounding board for that was like, Wait, what? Are we all as a society going insane? Which honestly, like maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. You know, our protagonist here, our our main guy in this movie, he does, you know, kill somebody with an axe. Yeah. So that's a little <laughs> That's another thing. Um he, he also he also hits uh Julie Carmen right in the face and he also hits uh the girl <laughs> yeah. in possession uh in eighty one. Um what's with Sam Nail hitting women in, in these movies? Oh. Oh. Carpenter said in the commentary that he had a lot of trouble with that. Oh. It really bothered him oh, to have to you know, that they did that yeah. scene. That's nice. So I don't know. He's a gentleman. I don't know what to tell you. He seems like a good person. I think I like him. I'm never gonna Google him though, just in case. <laughs> a good guy. <laughs> you know, in kind of going along with many of the other Carpenter films that we've discussed, generally now, like, people are pretty favorable on this one. Mm -hmm. It's uh, 58% rotten on Rotten Tomatoes with uh, with our critic scores, but it's got a 73% from the audience side. And I think um, people have really come around on it. Uh, like we've said a couple of times now, you know, it's considered like one of the good ones before before things really go to hell, which makes me nervous. Let me just read you real quick, though, what Roger Ebert said. Leave it two out of four stars. Mm -hmm. So complimented Neil's acting and Carpenter's work as director. But said the film fell flat due to its screenplay. One wonders how In the Mouth of Madness might have turned out if the script had contained even just a little more wit and ambition. And um I'm not, I'm not always going to agree with Roger Ebert, but I do feel like for me, that's, that's where the weakness comes in. It's, it's not Sam Neill. He's fucking killing it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the effects, even though I watched a crummy Amazon rip, but it's it, to me like there's just there's story beats kind of missing. And uh, that's, that's where I'm going to put the blame is on the VP of creative development for new line cinema. Nothing puts more uncertainty into me as a viewer than the New Line Cinema logo at the start of a movie. You just well, you don't I, know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I said that too earlier. Like, I feel it's conceptually there's a lot of interesting ideas. Yeah. I just don't know if they're explored successfully enough. But, David, you enjoyed it. So, um, I don't know. What do you think? Could I feel like if we showing the world or um, focusing more on the power of literature and what it can do to people i'm not sure I just, there's a lot of interesting concepts here that i just aren't feel just are not explored enough as they yeah come. i think um like i was saying earlier about the the mixture of tones like i think that mm -hmm. it doesn't have enough time to explore any of those ideas because it's so busy being hard it's so busy being funny it's so busy being noir and uh so it never really yeah. gets into all of that but i think there's such great ideas here and um you know the idea of 
of you know pop culture influencing people is a major thing even right now i mean now yeah. more than mm-hmm. ever and uh so i i think th- there's a lot here and it still has a lot of the like the the telltales of like you know what we love about carpenter i mean there's still really interesting visual shots in here and cool practical effects and uh great cinematography and you know the score and everything so i mean you still get a lot of those things i think it just maybe is a little messy yeah i i think also maybe is a little bit uh, I mean, not ahead of the times as far as censorship goes, because that's come up a couple of times in some of his past movies that we've talked about is, you know, that they kind of the media picks like certain people to go after of like, they're the ones corrupting this country and the youth and all of this and like, you know, kind of turning that on. Thankfully, that doesn't happen. anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, I don't know what one thing I have to say, though, is I really do wish I had seen this. Not that it would have been possible, but that if I had seen it in a movie theater, because I really feel like the batshit moment of him watching the movie that we've watched in a movie theater alone by himself as the world is falling into pieces would have been so much more impactful if I was sitting in a movie theater. Yeah. Like it just I'm Mm. just sitting on my couch and I'm like. Oh, look at that guy in the movie theater. Like, that's not a room I'm in, same as when he was in the diner. I'm not in a diner. But, like, that moment just kind of loses a little bit of its punch when you're watching it at home. And obviously, there's nothing nothing you could do about that. I think the ending is probably my favorite part. It's just Sam Neill watching Sam Neill just chill with his popcorn. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's the popcorn and puzzle pieces, right? Oh, yeah. It's a, that is a great <laughs> moment though. It's it's so good and, yeah. and it's it's iconic, really. I mean, I I knew that scene long before I ever saw this movie, or even like really knew what movie mm. it was from. It's pretty bananas. Is there anything um, that we haven't covered? Because I have I have just my returning players. We've already talked about them both briefly, um, but and then we've we've gotten into the score a little bit too. So. Yeah. Any anything else that we need to cover before we hit our our ratings, our reviews, our, all that stuff? The only other thing I had written down is like, if this yeah. movie was made today, what would it be instead of a book? Because nobody reads anymore. Would it be a video game? Do you think? <laughs> yeah. Um... Well, they did that crappy what Netflix movie about the video game that. Oh, what was that? I don't know that. Infected you. Yeah, we did it for the first run a while back. It's not Mm -hmm. good. That's an interesting question because I don't know what it what it would be. But I do. I kind of like part of me was like, I kind of want to remake. Yeah. Like just because I want to see I want to see this idea explored again. But why don't we just set it in the 90s still? And uh, that way we don't have to update it. And I'd like for Sam Neill to be the publisher. So he can, you know, we can bring him back in, uh, like wink in the original. He can be the Charlton Heston character. So that would be cool. um, I'll I'll allow it. (laughs) I like the book idea. I'd I'd like to stick with that too, personally. I think that'd be. I don't know. Stick with Stephen King. Just Just do (laughs) the printed word. Yeah, yeah. Well, that or just go all in on Lovecraft, right? I think that may have been too good. Yeah. But I, I see what you're saying about the uh, actual author today, yeah, though. Yeah, because there's no author yeah. today that, like, has everybody's attention anymore, is there? I mean... No, I don't think so. Like you said, nobody reads. Yeah. Well, they're making that Judy Bloom movie <laughs> well, now, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, I, but it's... Probably won't be a dozen movies that, that uh, make people go insane. But... <laughs> I don't know what what the equivalent would be Fox News, but that's just real. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> well, Stephen King's kid writes, too, so I don't know if he 
He he wrote the um the most recent uh movie that Scott Derrickson did about the uh, the, the black, black phone. phone. Yeah. Is the black phone? Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I kind of liked that movie. Yeah. I'm actually with David. I thought it was just okay. It was the right level of creepy for me because I don't want to be terrified. I just want to be like a little creeped out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. There's a, there's like a, a scale for me. Can I do one one last sidetrack if I if I can? Because David said something yeah. that piqued my interest because I am also a uh, massive Evil Dead fan. Have you seen uh, Evil Dead Rise yet? Yes, we actually just did a live podcast on it. So. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, okay. I, I I liked it. I didn't love it, unfortunately. But it's got like all the scenes in the trailer are all amazing, and uh, they're still amazing yeah. in the movie. But then the rest of the movie is just like kind of stringing those scenes along. So Ooh. fair. I think it was my least favorite out of all the Evil yeah. Dead fans, but that's still yeah. still good. I still enjoy exactly. it a lot. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's which then brings me back to in the mouth of madness. I think one thing. There's a couple of missed opportunities too. Now, I am a bit of a uh, gorehound. Mm-hmm. I like stuff when it gets real, you know, splooshy and gross. And I really feel that like the shotgun blast when Vigo takes himself out was a real missed opportunity there. Uh, I don't know. Do either of you think the film would have been improved if it was just everything was a little more escalated with violence or with the uh, gore or anything like that? Honestly, I think so. And I don't like that. But shouldn't be trying to make a scary movie for me. <laughs> I prefer not to go see them. <laughs> like, so I think, if, yeah, I, I think it could have been, you know, dialed up just a little bit more. Just I'm always down for more gore. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, he's shying away from it ever since the thing. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. I mean, he does come back to it a little bit, but still, it's it's still not, you know, what it was, unfortunately. Yeah. Why doesn't he... Always make everything with a director's cut where it's way grosser. Why don't we have that? What like what are we doing here? I don't know if that's something he's interested in. It doesn't appear to be. Like he's like, it's either I'm gonna make it the way I want or I'm not gonna be able to, and you're never gonna be able to see what I was thinking about. It's all or nothing. Exactly. Yeah. And he's so economical too yes. with his shots selection and how he directs and everything. It's it's I'm just sure it's not something he even really thinks yeah. about. Yeah. This, just like you said, and, and he does all these films with small budgets, so he has basically complete creative control. And said, "This is the film I want to make." Now, I think he limits himself a little bit because he's afraid of scaring off an audience. Like, some, I think he still the thing still stings him yeah. even to this day, even though it's a landmark in horror cinema. And like I say, I go back and forth between that and The Shining as my favorite horror mm-hmm. film. Uh, so. Yeah, I know it's too bad, but uh, it really just—I don't know if there is some like deep psychological impact that ha- that had on him, no. where he just ever since then has been handicapping himself with everything that he yeah. makes. I think that makes sense too. Like it, it feels yeah. that way. The ripple effect continues. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna—I'm gonna give you our returning players in nine seconds because it. Let's go. It, it is all. <laughs> it is Sorry. all first names. Sam, Neil, Peter, Jason. So am I just saying four random dudes' names or those two actors who have worked with John Carpenter before and are in this movie? Who's to say? But that's it. That's that's the beginning and the end of the list. Those are our only return returning players for this film. And that's it for Sam Neil too. That's what we got. That's so. what we got. But but speaking of Sam Neil, uh David, who gives your favorite performance in this film? Sam Neil. 
I, <laughs> I mean, he's Sam Neill. He's he's awesome. He's so good. Yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, he was overall pretty much our favorite in Memoirs of an Invisible Man too. Nice. So it was was nice to see him yeah. back here again. I have to agree wholeheartedly. I think Sam Neill's doing doing some good stuff in this film. Chris, what do you think? Who gives your favorite performance? Are you deaf and dumb, sir? Uh, it's Sam Neill. <laughs> I think it is. I don't really think there's really another option. And I love that woman. Was Is that a hotel? I can't remember. What did you say? Are you deaf and dumb, sir? And I'm like, man, I, I, I can't imagine having that interaction with a customer in any capacity yeah. in any job I've ever had. Yeah. But good for her. Yeah. That was a, that was at like the office where he's looking to find the town. Right? Yeah, and then he, something and then like he that. Goes yeah, yeah, yeah. Intensely caring and is like, I need to speak to the manager. And he's like screaming <laughs> yes. at her. I mean, she she did kind of start something, did she? Yeah, yeah. Well, later on, she says, I think I've told you eight times. <laughs> but still. You know, shouldn't you be worried that he has some kind of head concussion, some contusion or something instead? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess they probably don't get a lot of like crazy people in New Hampshire, maybe. Maybe it's like a nice, polite place. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been. Probably driven through at some point. Do you have to drive through it? Does it go anywhere? Uh, Is it like attached to Delaware? I've been through Where's Delaware. New Hampshire? No. Oh, it's up there. What? Up no, there. yeah. I, I'm a New England guy. I'm from Connecticut. Yeah, so, so what I've been are your New Hampshire experiences with New Hampshire? Have you they're yelled fine. at a manager also there? A, little, a lot of it's very weirdly libertarian. It's it's They're mostly okay, but <laughs> just a little different. All right. Well... Maybe I'll make it there. Maybe I'll have an opinion one day. But I don't have an opinion on New Hampshire. I do have an opinion on this movie, though. So we're going to do our synth score for season three. We are rating all of our movies on a scale of one to five. Half synths are allowed. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and and start this off. Uh, I'm going to give it a 2.5. This movie is kind of meh. To me, it's got some good ideas, and even just writing the plot summary, I was like, oh, that sounds so cool. Um, the highs are there, particularly the the scene with the axe-wielding agent coming from across the street, like just in the background of the two of them at the diner. Like, that's an mm-hmm. awesome scene. Sam Neill just absolutely repeatedly losing his shit on the bus is fantastic, but like, not, it just doesn't manage to sustain the highs for me so yeah i'm i'm giving it 2.5 synths and david we're gonna let you go last so chris what oh, what is oh. your rating here how many synths ready. what do you mean you're yeah, not I'm... ready because <laughs> i always i have a, a number down then i think about it and i vacillate yeah i go back and this forth this is why I'm we have to sure what I limit do. it to only halves because <laughs> yeah. otherwise it would be a mess oh yeah I'm gonna. I'll guess. I'll go. Because mm, I feel the problem is I liked it better than I like Starman, and I gave Starman three, but I didn't like it as much as I like Prince of Darkness, and that's three and a half. Yeah. So I'm kind of. You, you can't break that that number, so you gotta choose. All right, fine. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'll go three and a half. Three and a half. Yep. I'm gonna go three and a half. All right, uh, David. How many synths are you giving this film? I was gonna go three and a half. And then the song comes back in over the end credits, and I bump it up to four. So, uh, look at you. Oh, this is for you, right? I'm trying to play the synth as part of it. Are you in here? No, I can't hear it. Well, I was playing the fog. For oh, thank you. Aww. David. Thank you. Well, well, correct. <laughs> 
send me the file. I'll drop it in underneath, and then I'll take out the part. It'll be in my file. It'll be totally fine in my file, all right? Come on, y'all, bitch. <laughs> so don't give me any hard times. Oh, you heard that yeah. one? Yeah, that one came through loud and clear. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> you should have cut a sound clip of uh, that, that one demon running up and saying, fuck you, for no reason. Uh, what was up with that moment? <laughs> oh, Okay. So our last rating for the episode is uh, we're rating each movie on a scale of zero to ten on how many fucks did John Carpenter give about the making of this film. Um, We've been kind of all over the place so far. Um, Lots of high numbers for the most part. But, um, you know, dips come out of nowhere. So um, and, and again, this one, no rules as far as the. You can go decimals, you can get crazy, but as long as it's between zero and ten. So, Chris, why don't you start us off here? How many fucks do you think John Carpenter gave about making this movie? Whoa, whoa, whoa. There has never been any mention of no rules. Yeah, no, there with has. The, you just don't listen. So I could say 2.567353336A, carry the two. If you text it to it me, in your butt. yeah, I'll write it down there, but it's got to be a number. I'm not going to write that all down, but I'll round it up. Not even the stick it in your butt part? <laughs> Come on, y'all, bitch. Come on, y'all, bitch. Come on, y'all, bitch. You're going to have to take that button away. Uh, I'm saving that one for Matt. Um, okay. <laughs> I think he's more involved in this one than he was memoirs. So yeah. I'm going to go back to uh, a seven, seven on this one. Okay. I actually also had a seven. That's weird. So we just established it could be any number. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's starting off strong for me because it's John Carpenter's in the Mouth of Madness. You know, we've, yep. we've missed that a few times. So that that immediately secures a couple of points there. I feel like he wanted this to be a good film. You know, you can see what he's trying to do. Like the, the visual effects are interesting, creative, like doesn't look great on Amazon, but that's not his fault. But it just for me, I just think the script's a little weak. And I know that he kind of inherited a script from a, a VP, but... He knows how to punch up. He knows how to find people to punch up. He, he could have right. tightened it up a little bit, spiced it up a little bit. So um, no one else to blame for, for that than him. So I'm going to dock him like a handful of fucks. So seven out of ten is what what I think for this one. Uh, David, you want to take us home? How many fucks do you think he gave about this movie? So as soon as you brought this up, um, I actually also had seven in my head before oh! either of you guys revealed. Um, I I think that that is a really good amount of fucks here. Like, yeah, Yeah. he he clearly seems to care. Um, There's a lot of things he's trying to do. Um, Just not quite getting there on every little idea and aspect of the film. But uh, yeah, I think he's trying here. Yeah. Wow. Straight seven. There you go. Look at that. That's a winner. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Sound more excited about it. <laughs> I'm still hurting. I'm still smarting from the verbal beatdown you just gave me three minutes ago, so that's fine. <laughs> but it's a pretty good David Bowie song. So Well, we've we've covered it all then. As I cried myself to sleep on my huge pillar. Yes. <laughs> all right. We've chosen our favorites. We've done our rankings. We've contributed more data to the eventual series of charts that I will be putting out when we finish this season. So, um, David, thank you so much 
for watching this movie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for for being mm. with us to to give us this discussion. So where can people check you out? What do you got coming up soon that you want everybody to go find, follow, all that, all that good stuff? Absolutely. Well, yeah, thank you so much for having <laughs> me on. And uh, yeah, piecing it together. We just hit episode 300. Like I said, five Woo! years of doing this show and uh, new episodes every week. So please do check that out. And of course, I, I'm a music composer as well. And John Carpenter ah. is a major, major influence on what I do. I do, you know, electronic type uh, film scores and I put out albums of instrumental music that's inspired by my film scoring work and uh, so if you like the kind of music John Carpenter does and like his little solo albums that he puts out of uh, you know outside <laughs> of film music uh, you'll probably like what I do so check out my albums yeah. they're under my name David Rosen and my most recent album is called More Content. Ooh. I like that. We've talked about Carpenter's music so much this season and the other than synth, the word that always comes to mind for me is vibes. Yeah. And that is also how I would describe the David Rosen catalog. Thank it's vibes, you. man. Lots it's of just vibes. Vibes. Nice. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So everybody go go check it out. Go listen to uh to David's music on Spotify. Follow his podcast. All that good stuff. Um, you can find us on Twitter. We're at Screen Run. I'm at the Lady One. Chris is at CG Scalzo. And you can find our show anywhere the podcasts are. Oh, plus, I haven't said our website name in a while. It's screenrun.fun, which is just my favorite thing to say. Um, so if uh, you want to leave us a rating, leave us a review, tell a friend, we would we would love it so much. Yeah, we, don't, we don't talk about either, too. You can email us at screenrunfun oh, yeah. at gmail.com. Yeah, you can. Don't. So there you go. Don't do it though <laughs> I was just thinking about doing it <laughs> yeah drop us a line why not drop Chris from the show <laughs> but uh, we'll be back again very soon discussing the next film Village of the Damned yay hey it's Christopher Reeve wait it'd be nice to see Christopher Reeve oh wait he's in that yep shit I don't know nothing about this movie I go in so cold <laughs> have you seen the original nope okay. ice cold <laughs> fair enough thanks bye <laughs> I don't know how to stop I'm sorry about the balls. It was a lucky shot, that's all. Wait!